So let's talk about adversity. You know, it's actually become a favorite topic of mine. When we study people who have found purpose and meaning, adversity is invariably part of their journey. In fact, it's almost a trigger. If you live a life without adversity, it's easy to be complacent, to just kind of float through life and take what's given to you. But oftentimes adversity jolts us out of complacency and puts us on a path to search for the reason why we're here on this planet. Adversity can also teach you things about yourself, about the work you're trying to put out into the world. Oftentimes we talk about the fact that it's not win or lose, it's, it's win or learn. Adversity is something to be embraced in a certain way. The right amount of adversity, you know, you don't want to have too much, uh, so much so that it, it breaks you. But in the right doses, adversity is actually powerful in terms of, of triggering that next stage of your journey. Welcome to Good is the New Cool, the field recordings. My name is Aftal Aziz. Hey, what's up? I'm Bobby Jones. We're two friends who have dedicated our lives and careers to helping others find ways to use their talents and passions to create a better world. Good is the New Cool connects and serves a global community of world-changing entrepreneurs, creators, and innovators using business and culture as forces for good. We're also the co-founders of Conspiracy of Love, a global purpose consultancy helping brands like Adidas, Red Bull, Microsoft, and Oreo help create social impact. In this podcast, we take you through the stories and people who inspired our new book, The Principles of Purpose. In the book, we outline nine principles designed to help business leaders attract the new generation of socially aware consumers, as well as the most talented purpose-driven employees. Throughout this series, we'll be taking you behind the scenes on a journey through the interviews and events surrounding the book, all in the hopes of inspiring you to harness the power of purpose for yourself. It's said that adversity doesn't build character, it defines it. And after a turbulent 2020, we thought it would be a good idea to start this series with an example of how adversity can be one of the greatest tools in defining purpose in both business and life. So Bobby, I know it might seem strange to listeners that we're going to start the series with an exploration into adversity, but it's actually, as we found in our research, a jumping off point into loads of great things, right? Like resilience, innovation, inclusion. Exactly. I mean, I think those three words you just said, I think summarize so much of 2020 and hopefully where we're headed moving forward. I mean, resilience. I mean, if you think about how much resilience this past year has required from all of us and how much we're facing and and our ability to continue to push through and and to fight through the innovation that has happened um, over the past year or so. I mean, it's been extraordinary what people have been creating to solve some of our most urgent issues that we're facing um, around the world. And inclusion, I mean, I think probably this past year, as much as any, has really shown the importance of us drawing our circles uh, wider and including more diversity and and thought and, and race and gender and all these other things to really become a better society, community, and business. I agree, Bobby. This has been uh, an entire year that has been a teachable moment for all of us. It's been crazy. And one person who I was privileged to meet just as the craziness was kicking off uh, in March in Los Angeles, uh, just as the country was shutting down, was Samara Sam Latif. Um, Sam is Procter & Gamble's company accessibility leader in the UK. She was born with a rare genetic condition known as retinitis pigmentosa. At the age of 16 years old, she suddenly could no longer read anything anymore and lost her sight. Um, She was actually flying to Los Angeles to attend an accessibility conference. Uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing her before for Forbes. And I said, hey, you're in my hometown. Let's meet up. I was so blown away by the bravery of this blind, by the way, hijabi-wearing Muslim woman who flew all the way from London to LA to come and do this conference in the middle of a pandemic and was just as cool as a cucumber in the middle of all of this. Uh, that's one of the many, many remarkable things about Sam. Sam is a badass in the, in, the, in the most beautiful and powerful way. I mean, how she has really used what many would, you know, consider a, a disability, and it is in, in some ways, but use it as almost like a, a, a superpower 
to really be able to to understand the needs of people in ways that other people can't. And so I, I've I've loved getting to to learn about Sam's story and the work that she's doing. Yeah, this is a this is a very special person, and she is a, a badass in in the best sense of the word. When we recorded this episode, she actually came uh, to Not Impossible Labs. Uh, with me, you know, our friends, Mick Ebeling and his team who do wonderful things, uh, you know, using uh, disability as an engine for innovation, as we often talk about. Um, so it was a wonderful meeting of the minds. And then she came uh, to to my home and we we sat in my little studio in the back uh, and recorded this, this interview that you're about to hear. Um, and it was just such a remarkable story. Uh, the cherry on top, by the way, is her wonderful Scottish accent as well. Um, which is just, uh, I could listen to for days. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Latif. Uh, I was born in the UK. My parents were immigrants from Pakistan in the 1960s. And they settled, in the beginning, they settled in the north of England. And that's where I was born. And, and then they moved to Scotland when I was six weeks old to a city called Glasgow. So I'm one of five. And out of the five, there's three blind mice, as I call us. Um, so three of us have got this condition that is called retinitis pigmentosa. So we're, we're 97% blind. I don't exactly know when it started, but by the age of four, my parents um, knew that we were going to go blind and they knew that we couldn't see well at all. Um, we couldn't read very well either. So like I could read maybe like five, six words a minute. And what I have is like a, a tunnel. As you grow older, the tunnel gets narrower and blurrier. So you can see less and less over time. It was just my reality. It was my normality. I didn't know any different, I guess. Um, but growing up, my mum couldn't speak English very well. She couldn't read English very well. My dad was a, a businessman. So my mum and dad were hardworking couple with five kids and then um, as we were growing up my mum gave up work because I caught fire one day. Wait Um, stop hold on (laughs) you can't gloss over that (laughs) you set yourself on fire? Just just accidentally and then I think my dad realized that my mum needed to be you know home looking after us. Yeah, growing up was it was it was good fun actually. I've got really fond memories because my older brother, who's also blind, he and I became like this team. Um, we shared experiences, the blind experiences. We didn't know at the time, but we were the only ones that were always told that we were clumsy or careless or we weren't watching where we were going. But we didn't really realize it was because we were blind. It was just something we both had that thing in common. And then we wanted to do things that we couldn't, like drive a car and stuff. So we would, you know, um, take the keys and roll down the windows. And um, my brother Amar was, would want to drive and I would stick my head out the window and put my arms out to make sure he didn't crash So you were actually anything. driving a car together? He, yeah, like backwards and forwards, like just a few yards forwards and a few yards backwards. You know, I love Sam's story, you know, listening to her talk about, you know, just growing up blind and, and just how protective and supportive her family were. It, it, it just it just shows such a such a strong foundation that she had. It's a really uh, strong reminder of kind of how we uh, how we start shape so much of who we are down the line. I completely agree, Bobby. And what's amazing is Sam's whole family are incredible. Her, her brothers are also blind. I love the story about them driving their parents' car together with like them hanging out the window. You know, they're a truly fearless family. We just like to do stuff that makes us happy, I guess. Um, so Adi, my my younger brother, he is a, an amazing snowboarder. He was doing it professionally, doing half pipes and jumping out of helicopters and snowboarding down mountains. A professional blind snowboarder. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> and he used a navigation, it's like someone used a walkie-talkie to describe left a bit, right a bit, you know, and that helps him to get down the mountain. So he he's a bit of a daredevil, the three of us. Um, Amar was a businessman. So even like growing up, Amar would go cycling not being able to see very well on his bike to a cash and carry. I don't know if you know what that is. Buy a box of chocolates and come back and sell it to the the neighbors. 
he deserves his own episode because he's not only blind, he set up a travel agency for the blind as well, where sighted people go with people who have low or no vision for a discount and they're able to travel the world together, which is a brilliant business idea in and of itself. And these guys have gone snowboarding, they've traveled around the world, like they're fearless in a way that is truly remarkable. I mean, you think of a more awesome life than that? I mean, that's that's like the that's 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 my dream life to just be able to just travel around the world and snowboard and and to just do all of this with the people that you love, man. That's a that's a that's an awesome life. I love it. People's perceptions towards us was always that you couldn't do things because you're blind. So, you know, whether it was in the home, my mom didn't teach me cooking or cleaning, which you might think is a good thing. <laughs> um, but even like going going to, to school or university or they, they would just, people would just assume that because you were blind, you couldn't do something. I believed that I could, or at least I wanted to try it for myself. So I never took no for an answer. I guess that's what I'm like today as well. So. I never get phased by if someone tells you that you can't do something. I'll always keep persevering and um, giving it giving it the best shot. And most of the time it works. Like her brother, Sam spent her life finding workarounds to every obstacle that stood in the way of achieving her dreams. Even at university, she found ways to make what wasn't a very accessible course work for her. Yeah, I studied marketing and business law, not for any other reason. I couldn't read the choices. I couldn't even read the perspective. I've just got someone to read what were the different courses and that sounded quite good. So I just went for it. And I, I really enjoyed both of them. Um, but again, I when I say enjoy, I, I used to probably fall asleep in 50% of the lectures because there was no visual stimulus. And then I didn't have access to most of the materials. So my way of learning was just to go around um, meeting the students either in libraries or pubs or wherever they were and asking them their opinion about a particular book. And I would get five opinions on the same book and then create my own. And that's kind of how I learned through uni. You know, Sam is one of those people who hears no on a daily basis. And what I love about her approach is that her responses never take no for an answer, right? Uh, she she almost sees it as a starting point to have a conversation and a dialogue to change things for the better. Yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's that mentality of why not? You know, what why why is the answer no? Like why why can't it be different? Why can't I do this? Why can't I become this? Why can't I change this? And you know, I think that's one of her superpowers, that ability to take something that should be an obstacle or a barrier or for some a dead end and use it as a launching pad to just go, to just blow through it and, and to become and do everything that, that she um, envisions and imagines and that she thinks uh, should be done in the world. And Bobby, you know, Lord knows we've had enough people say no to us in the journey to like making this book good as a new cool as well. I can't remember how many people said no before we finally found a publisher. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Robert Ginsler, our, <laughs> our literary agent. Um, mm. You know, when we had written this first draft of the book and, you know, we, we had now had this opportunity to work with uh, this amazing agent and actually find a publisher to bring it to life. And, we, you know, we had a meeting. We were just like, so how's it going? He was just like, hey, I had 19 uh, conversations. I was like, okay, so when does the bidding start? Like, well, 18 of them said no. And we were just like, Okay. And then it was like, but once say yes. And I think about this idea of, of 18 people looking at what we created and saying, no, that's not, you know, it's not for us. But more importantly, realizing that we only needed one yes. We didn't need 19 yeses. We just needed one. And so this idea of adversity is, is really, so much of it is about resilience and that ability to just keep pushing and keep fighting um, and I think the biggest thing that I've learned, I think throughout that journey is, is not saying no to myself. Like so often the first no that we hear is the no inside our own head that says, no, you can't do this. No, you should, you know, this is too big. This is too audacious. And then when I think once we overcome that, it then is just being relentless about 
continuing to push forward no matter how how many no's you get until you find the yes. And, you know, one of the parts of, of Sam's stories I love is, you know, you know, she spent her life breaking through these expectations um, and, and so many no's, um, but also accepting the help when she needed it. Um, and then she came across, you know, someone who said, yes, you can, and how that led to her landing a job at Arnold Clark. So Arnold Clark is a billionaire, and he was, um, I don't, I met him at, um, I don't know, like a fair. I accidentally bumped into him and got chatting to him. And he was really fascinated by, you know, what I was talking about, and I don't even remember what the topic was now. We were having this conversation, and I said, um, I'm looking for a job, do you have one? And he goes, yeah. And then he just asked someone in his company that I want to give this girl a job, go and find one. And they said, what do you want her to do? And he said, just ask her what she wants to do. <laughs> and so that was kind of the job interview. <laughs> and I landed in this, uh, it's, it's, Arnold Clark was Scotland's largest car retailer for new and used cars. And so I ended up working on um, analyzing lost car sales and things like that. Our journey is is so intertwined with the journey of other people as well. And when you find somebody who sees your potential, uh, who sees your gift and doesn't see your limitations, but only sees the possibilities and says, I'm going to use my power to create space for you. That's inclusivity. That's what we've been talking about, you know, for so long. And and that was really the start of, of an incredible career that Sam had. So while I was working at Arnold Clark, I got um, called by an agency who wanted me to apply to Procter & Gamble. And I had never heard of Procter & Gamble, but when I heard about the brands like Olay, Gillette, I thought, oh, wow, that sounds like fun. And they told me the job um, is working with these global brands. It will be in London. Um, you know, you'll travel around the world. And I thought, oh, wow. It, it just it sounded so exciting, but it was also, I thought, as, as if, you know, I would get that. So I'll just go along for the free, you know, plane journey to London and to go for the interview and stuff. So I decided to apply and um, got offered the job on the day, which is unusual for P&G to do that. And when they offered me the job, I, I declined it straight away because I knew being, you know, first generation Scottish Pakistani, I didn't know anyone like me who would have left home and go to a new city to work. So I kind of just politely declined the offer. Mike, who wanted to recruit me, he called me and said, why are you declining an offer from Wait, P&G? What? That's going to be the title of the autobiography. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? The life of Sablati. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, Mike, when he found out why I didn't take him up on the offer, um, he wanted to talk to my mum and dad. And that's when he called my parents and he asked if he could come to Glasgow and meet them. And he had a cup of tea with my dad <laughs> it was all a bit weird like it's just surreal nobody would do that um but anyway he came and convinced my mom and dad that he would look out for me and to you know really encourage them to to let me go and and give it a try after some negotiation sam was given her family's blessing to finally fly the nest and go work in the big city and she began her career at procter and gamble in it and i have walked through those same doors at Procter & Gamble, I was privileged to have that as my first job. I know how intimidating it is to walk in there. I cannot even imagine what it was like to walk in there as a blind Muslim woman in a hijab. So my job in IT was to look at ways that we could apply IT to our brands like Pampers or Olay or Pantene to see how technology could make the business somehow better, faster or cheaper using technology. Um, so I worked on a lot of brands and lots of global roles, travelled a lot and learned a lot about IT, learned a lot about the business. Just because Sam was given the opportunity didn't mean it was smooth sailing there. She still faced many frustrating challenges when it came to accessibility in the workplace. But Sam being Sam took this and quite naturally began to think of inclusive design as the solution. And it was in this moment she realized her purpose of wanting to help solve the issues of product design and packaging design. 
I actually um, always thought about inclusive design, um, but I didn't realise it, it was a term called inclusive design. I just always wondered why. You know, if they had only done this, it would be easier for me to do that. So it's just something that has been innately what I take, took an interest in because not being able to see the world hasn't really been designed for blind people. So you always find flaws that if only someone realised that putting a bit of tactile here would help me find something better, um, it would save me a lot of time every day. Earlier in our conversation, we talked about resilience. And, and I think Sam's story, you know, so far as already, is, is, is just showing how resilient she's been. Yeah, and the other thing about Sam is she's funny. You know, she has a sense of humor about it. I remember actually asking her what it was like to, you know, have a hijab, right? So we're, we're uh, in a world where people look at Muslim women in hijabs funny. And Sam said, well, I don't see them because I'm blind. I don't get the funny looks. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. She, she doesn't care about, you know, people silently judging her. And so I think humor is a part of resilience as well, of just kind of going, look, I can't do anything about how the world sees me. What I can do is change my attitude about it, you know, and use that to navigate this world with good humor and, and with grace as well. You have to have that kind of fearlessness uh, or probably it's better say courage. And yeah, and being able to do that with sense of humor. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's all served her well. You know, so Bobby, when we were writing this book, we'd often talk about the difference between data, knowledge, and wisdom, right? And um, just to explain to people what we mean, you know, data was like a, a discrete fact. Like there are 1 billion people in the world who have some form of disability, right? Um, knowledge came to us in the form of stories. So like the story of Sam and the stories of the 26 other people in the book um, they really kind of gave us an in-depth look into their lives and helped us realize um, patterns. And the wisdom part was really what we kept looking for, was like, okay, what do all these stories mean when matched with the data? What does it ladder up to? What can we distill it down to? Um, and that's really the thinking behind these nine principles. And hearing Sam's story again makes me realize how much she embodies one of the principles, which is purpose must start inside out. And what we mean by that is really kind of like advice to companies that if you truly want to be a force for good in the world, it starts with your employees and it starts from creating space for them uh, inside the company to bring their whole selves to work. That's what Procter & Gamble was able to do with Sam. They made space um, for this blind Muslim woman to come and be a part of their company they didn't do it for tokenism. They did it because they recognized the potential in her. Sam's story kind of sums this principle up perfectly. You know, 15% of the world's population lives with one form of disability or another. As Sam described it, if humans are at the heart of design and function, why is it that for the longest time, these people were not only overlooked in product design, but also as consumers as a whole? Whether it's vision or cognition or dexterity or mobility, you know, there's so many um, challenges that we all face. And let's face it, like we're all going to be living longer. And what happens, the longer you live, the more of these challenges that you're going to have. So if products and services are accessible, it means that they can access those products and services independently and confidently. And if you can access something independently and confidently, you're going to buy it and use it. So it just makes business sense. Now, there's a difference between inclusive design and accessibility. Accessibility is about people with disabilities being able to use a design. Inclusive design takes the process a step further to ensure that the product or service in question serves everyone who uses it. Inclusive design is a mindset. Accessibility is one outcome of that mindset. You know, I had a very successful IT career. I was running, I was managing the IT portfolio for the entire Europe business. And on the side, I was trying to create this uh, disability network in the company, like an employee resource group that P&G people could join if 
they had an interest in disability. And as I was launching this, I realized I wanted people to experience what it was like to have a disability rather than just talk about it. I don't find sympathy very helpful. I find empathy very useful. So I wanted people to have empathy and really understand the needs of, first of all, employees with disabilities. But then I realised that it's not just employees, it's about people using our products as well. So let's look at how they go shopping for your products, how they find them on the shelf, how they... You know, when they bring them home, how can they, when they open their, the packaging, how easy is it to open? How easy is it to use? All these things from the perspective of someone with a disability is really eye-opening for the brands. And really, this was something that P&G people had never thought about. You know, we, we used to segment our consumers based on income, um, gender, race, but we never thought about the needs of consumers with disabilities. And you can argue that actually th those needs are extremely important too. What's great about Sam's workshops is that they allow others to feel what it was like using products. It, it gave others the insight that she has naturally. Um, and, and I love this, this idea that sympathy doesn't help, but empathy does. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, a lot of our audience is also people who work in marketing, right? And in marketing, your job is to be the voice of the consumer. And the brilliantly simple insight that Sam brought to the workshops were, well, because you're not disabled, you can't really do that. So let me show you what it's like to temporarily be disabled. You know, most times as a marketer, you're kind of given some data on a you know, PowerPoint. Say, hey, here you go. This is what people think, you know, and it's qualitative research or quantitative research. Um, sometimes if you're lucky, you get to go and do ethnographic research, which is where you kind of watch people in real situations, whether that's how they shop or how they use products in, your, in their homes. But what Sam did was take it a step further. She made it experiential and tactile. She said, put on these gloves and you will see what it's like um, to not be able to you know, open a ketchup bottle because you don't have the hand strength. I'll put on these glasses, which will block your vision so you will see how difficult it is to read ingredients and figure out which one's shampoo and which one's conditioner. I think that's brilliant. And I think it makes them better marketers and better business people. And I think that all companies should do it when thinking about how to design products. I agree. I think, you know, it, it, it makes me think of, uh, you know, our friend, uh, Hugh Pettigrew. He, he talks about the head, the heart in the hands of, of transformation. The head is mm -hmm. the, the intellectual piece, the, the data, the, the stats, all the things that help you to understand what an issue or experience is like through an intellectual pr perspective. But the, 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 the hands and the heart are really, the hands really are connected to this idea of you actually trying to do what someone with a disability struggles with every day. And that really is is about as you as you mentioned that that kind of tactile experience, and then you're like, okay, I know what this feels like physically to struggle with this, but that experience connects and opens the most important part, which is the heart, and that that sense of opening your heart is really where you get that that real empathy um and I think what what Sam has created is is really this space for people to experience all three of those. So, Bobby, you and I have talked about this a lot, right? The value of inclusivity in business. If a business is predicated on selling products or services to the largest number of people possible, then it becomes blindingly obvious that you should take the time to design those products and services to reach the widest number of potential customers. And that's what Sam has helped P&G do. You know, she's an example of somebody as a friend True Pettigrew says, who is in alignment with her assignment. She is the right person in the right company at the right time to be able to use her superpowers to widen the aperture of what that company thought was possible um, and really understand the huge potential there is out there um, of marketing and communicating and innovating um, for this, this, this majority of 1 billion people out there who are hungry for innovation from companies to help make their lives better. If we solve for those people's challenges, whatever they come, that will come out will delight everybody. 
Tide Pods, for example. Everybody can use them, including people with extreme dexterity challenges who found it very difficult to hold and pour out liquid and measure it. Similarly, for, for, for blind people, they found it hard to measure as well. So we've solved for that challenge by being able to just pick up a pod and putting it in the drum. It's not only helping that mum, you know, who may not have a disability, but it's also helping people with cognition, physical and vision challenges. And what we do know is that friends and family of those people, if they think that there's a product in the market that's going to support that individual with a disability, they're 10 times more likely to also buy that product. And people with disabilities have income to spend as well. So it's like, it just makes really good business sense. Sam was able to use her experiences as a blind person to reinvent PNG product design. One great example was her work with herbal essences. So this was based on my personal problem growing up. Um, I always experienced, I find it really hard to remember which was shampoo and which was conditioner. And I remember always asking, you know, someone in my family, can you tell me what this is? That, you know, it's a very common phrase when you're blind. Can you tell me what this is? And I would put a rubber band on the on the shampoo or um, I would put like a, a sticky dot on the conditioner or something like that. And I did that all my life. But, you know, as you get busier, you might not be able to find that rubber band or that rubber band snapped. And it's it just is an inconvenience all the time. While I was doing the disability challenge in the company to help them realise like how difficult it was for consumers to tell shampoo and conditioner apart because our bottles were actually identical physically. We were using the same moulds. We were just changing the label and the artwork. But if you can't see, you can't see the difference in the artwork. So that's when I came up with the idea. Wouldn't it be great if we could put some kind of tactile marking on the bottle to tell shampoo apart from conditioner just from touch? Um, And that's where the Herbal Essences project came about. And what we did was we introduced these just simple four tactile lines at the back of the Herbal Essences shampoo bottles and circles, tactile circles for conditioner so that anyone can tell by touch shampoo from conditioner. And the vision is that this becomes like a universal language for shampoo and conditioner. So just like we use words like shampoo and conditioner and every shampoo and conditioner brand puts those words on their bottle regardless of brand, I want these tactile markings to communicate that same information, but in a tactile way so that people who cannot see can also be able to tell them um, just by touch. And, you know, 70% of people wear contacts and glasses and those guys don't see very well in the shower because you're not wearing your your correct eyewear. So it's, it's actually more than just for Sam, the solution. It really will help, you know, quite a lot of people. And so, you know, Bobby, in, in the journey of writing this book, we've interviewed people like uh, Mark Pritchard, who's the chief brand officer at P&G, Virginia Helias, who's the chief sustainability officer, about this mission that P&G has to be a force for good and a force for growth and how they really see those things interlinked, how, how one feeds the other, you know. And, and that's what strikes me as, you know, uh, Sam being an employee of this company, she embodies that. She says, listen, you can do both of these things. You can massively increase the consumer base for your products, but you can also do that in a way that has a social impact baked into it. P&G has done some wonderful collaborations. One of my favorites is with Be My Eyes, a free app that connects blind and low vision people with sighted volunteers for visual assistance through a live video call. Founded and developed by Hans-Jorgen Wieberg, who is also blind, Be My Eyes is a great solution to the problems that many blind people have that sighted people often take for granted, like reading your pregnancy test, for example. So um, I wanted to find out whether I was pregnant and Joe, my husband, wasn't there. And I was desperate to find out. Like, I think many women could relate to that. You just, you become a bit irrational. (laughs) And um, so he wasn't around and I wanted to find out if I was pregnant. And I decided to go to my local pharmacy and see if they would read the result. And the first pharmacy I went to, the the guy just said, well, it's not my job, sorry, I'm not going to do it. Mm. Um, and it was raining and I was like uh, a bit lost, you know, coming out of that pharmacy. I was in tears actually because I thought, God, all he had to do was read the result. 
And then I went to the next pharmacy. Fortunately, where I live, there's three pharmacies. <laughs> so I decided to pluck up the courage and go to the next one. Um, and when I went to the next one, the, the lady was really kind and um, told me that I wasn't pregnant. So I left there in floods of tears as well. <laughs> and then just sort of going home in the rain and thinking, this is so miserable. <laughs> Um, so like, and I was just thinking of if there was just something that would have allowed me to do that by myself. So th these kind of things, like everyday living is, um, if things are accessibly designed, it makes living easier. Um, and if things are not accessible, it, it can just add so much frustration and tension. The beautiful thing about inclusive design for a company is that it provides an avenue for incredible innovation that serves every single one of us. Take things like the flexible straw. That came about because Joseph B. Friedman watched his young daughter, Judith, struggling to drink a milkshake. And before he knew it, flex straws became the standard worldwide. And there are plenty more examples of innovations like this. So it's, it starts all the way back in the 18th century with the typewriter. So the typewriter, the inspiration behind creating the typewriter was a, a blind lady who wanted to be able to write to her friend and so her brother created the typewriter for her so that she could independently write to her friend. One of the, the f creators of the internet, Vincent Cerf, was deaf and, um, and, and he found it easier to share documents over the computer rather than talking on the phone. So, and, and that was also like uh, inspiration behind the, the internet. The guy who invented the telephone, his mother was um, deaf, so that inspired him to learn acoustics at, at university, and that's when he took an interest in creating the phone. And, and even like texting, texting was, you know, for deaf people, they were, they were doing it among themselves, and then it became so popular, it's now the mainstream. All of these innovations started out as an inclusive design and became part of our modern day infrastructure. The unlock feature on the iPhone with the thumbprint or, or the facial recognition, that the inspiration behind that was a blind employee at Apple um, who, who found it time consuming to put her PIN number in. So, you know, the engineers created, first of all, for her only, uh, a solution that would allow her to unlock her phone with her thumb. But obviously that, you know, everybody else wanted a bit of that too. So it became the mainstream. And a lot of the, the things that are in the mainstream today are being inspired by or created by or for um, people who have had disabilities. Disability to view the world through the lens of exclusivity is a superpower in itself. It improves design and function in ways we may never have thought of and has directly shaped our evolving world for the better. Inclusive design isn't just about the disabled being able to use products successfully. It's also about being included in the culture that surrounds them, whether that's something as simple as feeling cool or even being able to enjoy your favorite show. Um, I, as a blind person, I only watch films or TV programs that have something called audio description. And that is the equivalent of subtitling, but this is for the blind and it describes the visual scenes going on in a film. And so that helps us understand what's going on. And Better Call Saul, the first four seasons were audio described, but the, the new one is not. And so all of a sudden, when you, you've been feeling part of, you know, like I was saying, I feel included, I can talk about watching that series. And now, the, the last one, they didn't think to audio describe it. And it's just so frustrating and annoying that it's it doesn't have to everything should be audio described so that I can watch whatever just like you can watch whatever you want you know what I mean like but it's so annoying that um so much content video content isn't audio described and you just feel so excluded again you know when you look at Sam she's cool the way she dresses she's stylish and she said listen I, I want to use the cool products too I don't want to just use the products that have been given to me. I want to. I want to be uh, down and want to have like the latest, coolest things. And I think again, too often, um, marketers and business people forget this. You know that people might have disabilities, but they're still subject to the same trends and you know uh, desires that everybody else has. When I was growing up, I had a talking watch, 
which if I wanted to know the time, I would press the button and it would say it's 4.35 p.m. And everybody in the room would know that Sam was interested in knowing what the time was. And the watch was ugly and the watch was very expensive and it was for the blind. And similarly, I had a talking calculator or a talking book. I had like stuff that was chunky, clunky, expensive and ugly. And I want, I didn't want that. I just wanted to be like everyone else. I, I just wanted to be ordinary, like what other people had. I wanted that. But I couldn't because it was never accessible. And when the iPhone became accessible for blind people, all of a sudden, you know, you, you were just like everyone else. I've now got the same smartphone that millions of people, billions of people around the world have. And I only need to you know, just turn on voiceover, which is a special feature for blind people to use the phone when it makes it start talking. Um, But it means I can do all the cool stuff that you can do. I just feel the same as everyone else. And also, just because I'm blind, it doesn't mean that I don't want to look good. Um, I want to be the best that I can be as well. It's just a myth that um, blind people don't care about how they look. I think a lot of us spend a lot of extra time investing in things to help us you know, look good, feel good. Although we are making leaps and bounds when it comes to inclusive design solutions, we still have a long way to go. One thing that Sam would really like to see happen is indoor mapping. Who doesn't rely on GPS at the moment? You know, you want to go somewhere, you just plug it into your GPS, right? Everybody uses it. But for blind people, I think um, it would be just so much more helpful to get some indoor navigation to say, where's the door for the store that you want to go to like or or the airport i get a taxi the taxis drop me off near the airport i don't really know exactly where the door is it can take so long whereas if there was some navigation device that would direct me just to that point in the door that would be amazing um, and then when you get through the door you know if i want to find the the delta check-in desk it would just direct me there um at least I'd know what, what way to go. And and toilets, of course, they're so important. Like, you know, when you need to go, you need to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like a basic human right, I think, that we all should be able to find a toilet when needed. Sam is really clear about what she can do and what she can't do. And just by being the one who shines a light and says, hey, look over here, look at this problem that so many people have, that is a valuable role in itself. Because doing so then allows other people who might have the solution to come on board and collaborate and participate as well. So I think too often sometimes people get paralyzed by the fact that they think they need to come up with, you know, not only spot the problem, but come up with the solution themselves. And Sam shows you don't have to do that. For all of us, there's a lesson in that, um, in really being kind of kind to yourself and understanding what you're good at and not putting pressure on yourself to come up with every part of the solution. Yeah, I, I love that statement. You know, the other principle that, you know, that we talk about is this idea of being the helper, not the hero. A lot of times what people in communities need is just a helping hand. It just needs somebody to, to invest resources or create opportunities or to, or to just design or, or create in ways that are, that are just more inclusive or effective. And I think Sam recognized that, you know, that P&G's job was not to be the hero is to help people to live the lives that they want to live and, the, and to create the type of lifestyles that they wanted to, to have, which is really just about being able to do all the things they want to do from reading a pregnancy test to being able to um, select their own accessories in the bathroom to all, or, or to just find where a bathroom is in a restaurant. It's about just lending a helping hand. And I think Sam recognized that. And I think the way that she's shown up in the world and used her talents and resources within PNG, um, I think really embodies that be a, be a helper, not the hero principle. I think helping other people understand some of the challenges that people have with disabilities firsthand has, is really rewarding to see the change in the company, the change in the culture because it's not something that they actively chose to exclude, but it's something that they didn't you know, proactively think about either. And by being able to show them that, you know, a disabled employee can succeed in the company, that will encourage them to hire more people like me with disabilities into the company. 
but also by showing them the um, potential that if they can put someone like me as an inspirational design consumer, whatever they produce will actually delight everybody. It's a really sad stat that for several generations now, this, the needle has not changed and that one in four blind people of working age are, are in employment. So which means that 75% of blind people are not working today. And I really find it amazing that that stat hasn't, it's not improving. And there's really it, it, no reason for companies to not employ blind people. I think we're very good at problem solving and communication and thinking outside the box. And these are qualities that a lot of blind people have in their daily life because the world isn't very accessible. So we always come up with new ideas, new ways of doing things, not taking no for an answer. You know, we're very resilient and persistent. And these are skills that are useful for any business. Yet, you know, companies are not very confident in hiring people with disabilities. I mean, Sam is an example of, of a successful disabled employee, you know, and, and I think her success, you know, has inspired P&G to hire other people like Sam, um, but also see the potential these people can bring, you know, their resilience, uh, their imaginations, their out-of-box thinking. The worries that employers have when hiring a blind person can easily be dismantled once they see the value that their perspective can bring to a company. However, it can even come down to just how comfortable people are with interacting with the blind. People feel like, oh, I better not um, invite this blind person for an interview because I don't want them to fail. Mm. You know, um, I'm, I don't know how to speak. I don't know what terminology to use. Is it bad if I say, did you see that? You know, and, you know, people just don't know how to to be comfortable around someone with a disability. And so they would rather avoid them. But I think the more you, you know, you just get to know people with a disability, you become friends with them, then you realize that actually they're human beings and they're, they've they got value to to bring to society as well. And you, we can learn from one another. It's not, you know, it's not hard. And quite often, like um, I'm, I'm coaching many people from other companies now. And what I usually say to them is just, just hire someone who's blind, you know, like, what's the worst that can happen? It might not work out, but at least you gave it a try. Mm. Just to get it out of the way, what are the top things you should not say to somebody who is blind or disabled? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. It's really? just like, no, you know, you, you'll find that we often like laugh amongst ourselves as well. We make jokes and there's just nothing that you, you, you know, you can say to me, did you see that program? Uh, or I'll see you tomorrow or whatever. It's it's fine. I'd rather people see it. And if there is something, you know, my personality is I'll just let you know nicely. There's only one term that I don't personally like and there's a differing of, of opinion within the disability community and that's that word handicap. Mm. So for me, like the word handicap, there's connotations of cap in hand. So, you know, in the olden days, like blind people had to beg and so they were known, or disabled people had to beg, and so they were known as people who had a cap in hand, and that's how the word handicap was created. I did not know that. That's so fascinating. And and so I feel uncomfortable with that when, you know, I, I cringe when I hear it. Um, but obviously I know that people don't know that. So sometimes I might share my view on that word, but, you know, I don't care. You know, you know, you can call me blind or partially sighted or whatever, you know, like just include me rather than exclude me by fear of saying or doing the wrong thing. Does mm. that make sense? That's great advice. When we were having lunch, Sam mentioned something that really opened my eyes. She said it was better to be interdependent than independent. Growing up, you sometimes, you know, you have a chip on your shoulder. You want to prove that you can do everything. Um, but the more you do that, it, it, it requires investment of time and figuring out how to do it. And sometimes it's not worth the investment. You know, things can take for ages. You know, like I could probably try and memorize every single route out of every single airport, but I don't have the time to do that anymore. And it's no fun. It's a lot of stress that's not necessary. So instead of like trying to do everything independently, I've realized that you know, people are interdependent. We're all interdependent on each other anyway. So it's just nice to 
to learn that, okay, for this task, I'm going to just, you know, ask someone for help and um, uh, to get to get the job done rather than trying to do it on my own. It's like showing the world that, you know, I have a dream to, to be feel part of society and they, they have a role to help make that happen. And, and I think we've all got a role to play. So my, my role is to, to show the world what's missing for, for the disabled community at the moment and what they could do to just bridge that gap, to make it level. We hope you've been inspired by today's episode. Uh, if you're thinking about what you can do to help, here's a couple of suggestions. Number one, go check out Be My Eyes uh, and see how you, if you're sighted, that is, could help people who have blind or low vision uh, just make their everyday life a little bit easier. One other piece of good news. Now blind women can call the Clear Blue Pregnancy Test Company directly via Be My Eyes to get their pregnancy test read to them if their partner or family or friends are not always around. When you see somebody who's disabled, make a connection. Don't be worried about whether you're going to say the right thing or not. The most important thing is to make a connection there and see if you can use it to think about your own role in life a little bit differently. Exactly. And, you know, a simple thing that you could do, even in your work, you know, uh, Microsoft and LinkedIn and some of these other platforms have these these tools that you can use to make the things that you're writing and creating accessible. Just try to think of what's something I could do that make this a little bit more accessible to someone who, who may need it. Um, and I think you'd be surprised at how many opportunities there are to do that. And finally, think about adversity in your own life and your own journey as well as a sign, as an opportunity to really think about growth and thinking about changing your approach um, oftentimes, it is a signal that you're growing. The obstacle is the way, as somebody wise once said. So we hope you take this as inspiration as you go on your journey and you face adversity like all of us do at some point in our lives. This episode of Good is a New Cool, the field recordings featured the incredible Sam Latif and was hosted by myself, After Aziz and Bobby Jones and produced by Natalia Rodriguez. Go to goodisanewcool.com to find out more about what we do and also where you can pick up your copy of The Principles of Purpose. You can also keep in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at goodisthenewcool. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please share and join us next week for another episode of The Field Recordings. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't forget to look after each other.